You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has had many humanitarian, geopolitical and international strategic impacts, some of which we discussed in a special roundtable last week on our program. Russia's invasion has also put many historic structures, monuments and UNESCO World Heritage sites in danger of destruction. These artifacts represent irreplaceable cultural history and architectural heritage, with many dating back to the Middle Ages. And with us today to discuss cultural monuments in Ukraine, especially in the UNESCO cities of Kiev and Lviv, is Dr. Govan Bailey, an expert in Ukrainian Baroque architecture from the Department of Art History and Art Conservation here at Queen's University. Welcome, Govan. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Govan. Now, first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your areas of research here at Queen's in the Department of Art History and Art Conservation? Absolutely. I'm the Bader Chair in Southern Baroque Art, and well, I take that term rather loosely. I look at uh, Baroque globally. So I look at the impact of um, Baroque, which is mostly Southern European style originally, and how it spread throughout Europe, uh, East and West, and then to the globe. So I, I've done a lot also in Latin America, in Asia and Africa. Um, but I, I have a very strong interest in Eastern Europe as well. And now what attracted you to the field? What attracted me, well, first of all, I love Baroque art. I love the exuberance of it, but also I'm very interested in this globalization of Baroque and looking at the ways in which Baroque style interacted with those of indigenous cultures worldwide, um, which is in fact one of the fascinating things about Ukraine is this Ukrainian Baroque, otherwise known as Cossack Baroque that came in the 17th and 18th centuries that blended um, Italian, mostly Italian Baroque styles with uh, local ones. So this is... Um, this is the overarching theme is this idea of hybridity. Thanks so much. Now I've got to ask, are you a practicing artist yourself? I'm not. I'm a practicing musician, actually. I'm a cellist, but um, I do love art and always have, especially architecture. Great. Now let's move into our topic today. Uh, Govan, can you tell us more about UNESCO World Heritage Sites more generally? What are they? How are they designated? Who designates them? And why is it critical to designate these sites? Absolutely. So UNESCO stands for United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. So it is the UN. Um, and their main goal is to preserve both cultural and natural heritage. So it includes uh, national parks as well, um, nature reserve, preserves. But the main thing is it has to be, and they, they, this is what they say, of outstanding value to humanity. Um, and this is embodied in uh, an international treaty from 1972 called the Convention Concerning the Protection of the World Cultural and Natural Heritage. And their quote, and this is really the, the crux of the matter, is that these buildings or, or whatever they're protecting belong to all of the people of the world, irrespective of the territory on which they are located. These buildings are of global importance. They're importance not just to our generation and past generations, but to the future. 
So what, sorry, what they do is they ensure protection, nominate sites, set up management plans, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that they also involve uh, local stakeholders in protection and, and even train them in, in traditional methods of building to make them able to um, continue traditions. Great, thanks. Now, tell us about Kiev and Lviv, also known in English as Lviv, as designated UNESCO World Heritage Sites. What sets them apart from other cities in Ukraine, let alone Europe? Well, Kiev is super important. It's like Constantinople, which is present-day Istanbul, or Rome. It's kind of like the Vatican of the Ukrainian and Russian Orthodox Church. Um, uh, St. Sophia's Cathedral in Kiev, which is one of the two complexes that are on the list, uh, an 11th century church, was really the, the, the beginning of the history of, um, of, Eastern Orth of Russian Orthodox and Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Uh, and it, it was built as a a counteraction to, or as a challenge to, Hagia Sophia, St. Sophia Church in uh, Istanbul, which was the main church of the, the Byzantine Empire. So it, it's in a style, in fact, they sent experts from Constantinople to build it. So it's an example, a very, very rare example of a perfectly preserved 11th century church of, of major importance. Um, and it has mosaic collections from the period, including a magnificent Madonna with her, a Madonna at prayer with her hands up, um, and various, various mosaics and also frescoes. So that's very important. Um, and then nearby, well, not too nearby, but the same city uh, are the uh, Pechersk Lavra uh, monastic complex, which is a complex of churches, monastic buildings, towers, and also a very, very uh, long la labyrinthine 600 meter um, group of caves where um, where monks are buried that you can visit. Uh, and incredible amount of very important medieval and uh, 18th century, so my period, you know, Baroque uh, architecture in one place. That's that's Kiev. So Lviv, Lviv, it's the whole historic center. And Lviv is a very unique city because it's a crossroads of so many cultures. It was a very tolerant city. Uh, some of the most important uh, monuments there include a mosque and a synagogue and an Armenian church, a Uniate church, which is a combination of Catholic and Orthodox, an Orthodox church, a Catholic church. And the styles there are from all over the map. There's Polish Baroque, there's there's uh, Italian, really, really Italian style. There's a Germanic, like Central European Baroque with the ceiling paintings. Um, and all of this is located in uh, a central area. So it's so well preserved, despite all the, the horrors of World War II and everything, it's, it's a beautifully preserved city. Uh, it still needs a lot of uh, conservation, but uh, it's rare to visit a city that uh, in Central Europe anyway, it's not being um, really bombed badly. Uh, and so these buildings are, of great importance. Okay, now let's dig into the military situation. What is it about the military situation that is bringing these monuments under threat? Well, the thing is they're not, um, they, the uh, UNESCO has this thing called the Blue Shield Emblem, which is part of this same 1954 Hague Convention that if you put a Blue Shield Emblem on a monument and say it's cultural, you're not supposed to bomb it. The Russians seem to be bombing everything to, from maternity hospitals to TV towers to whatever. Um, I don't think they're going to respect uh, cultural property. I don't think that that uh, blue shield is going to really help. Just to give you an example, the Church of St. Andrew, which oddly enough is not one of the UNESCO ones in Kiev, but is a, is a building of global importance that I've studied and written about. That is a, uh, it's by Bartolomeo Rostrelli. Uh, it was built for Empress Elizabeth, and it's an incredible 
fusion of of, of um, Italian and French Baroque uh, with with uh, with uh, orthodox mainly ground plans and elevation, um, and this church is 350 meters from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and that's um, you know if they they're targeting government buildings, so this is a super important building that that is very much in danger. Saint Sophia is very close to Maidan Square, which is another target. Independent Square, which is another target, um, and. And so these buildings are really close to other targets, but could also be targeted themselves. Now, with your expertise, what happens if these monuments ultimately take some damage, but otherwise remain intact? Some damage remain intact. That's a pretty good um, outcome. Uh, conservation is very, very good right now. And, and I'm sure conservators would come from all over Europe to work on that. What would be absolutely devastating is the total destruction. I'll give you two examples of what happens when that takes place, even when they even when they rebuild them, as they probably would. Um, so St. Michael's Monastery of the Golden Domes, one of the most magnificent monasteries in Kiev, actually just across from St. Sophia, was just was detonated by the Soviets and uh, in the 1930s. And um it, when I first went, I, when I first went to Kiev, it was in in the Soviet era, and then the next time I went to Kiev, I had the strange experience of seeing a medieval monastery that hadn't been there before rebuilt in the same spot. Um, the same went for the Dormition Cathedral, which is in the Pesherska Lavra section. It was destroyed by the Nazis. Uh, Ukraine has a sad history, as I think everyone knows what I know. In 1941. And it was rebuilt in 2000. So St. Michael's rebuilt in 99. It was rebuilt in 2000. Now, it's wonderful to see them. They really used, uh, you know, photographic evidence and postcards and everything they could to, to do an accurate job. But as an art historian, when you come up close and you look, you see, no, it's not the same thing. It, it, uh, especially the decoration, it it's, looks a bit mechanical. It looks modern. Uh, they can't recapture the essence of what makes Ukrainian Baroque so amazing. And that's the stucco work, the rich, rich um, stucco work that you see on the churches. So yeah, you can rebuild it, but it's not gonna be the same. Now, if it's only damaged, then that's a little bit better. So can rebuilding happen using some of the original objects and structures, say for example, uh, remounting an original fresco to a modern frame? We'd be super lucky if we had a fresco uh, more likely stones, and a lot of these buildings do reuse the stones, and if there's sculpture, sometimes that survives. I'll just give you an example. There's a very important uh, sculptor from the period, Georg Pinsel. He's of Germanic origin. We don't know where he's born, but he worked in uh, Lviv, and he worked further to the southeast. Uh, um, lots of magnificent broke churches uh, in the countryside. He did all the altars for, and he did them out of wood. The churches were blown out by the Soviets and by the Nazis. They're, they're in ruins now. But people have sort of saved bits and pieces of his sculptures, which are now in a museum. In fact, it went to the Louvre. They had an exhibition on him in the Louvre in the in the zeros. Um, uh, they're really just splintered pieces sometimes, but sometimes you get a whole thing. Um, so you're really lucky if you get sculpture. You're super lucky if you get a fresco, but mostly you're going to be looking at stones. All right. And now if reproduction or total rebuilding needs to happen in the case of damage to or even total destruction of these monuments, from where would the funding come, do you think? Well, that's the big question. I mean, uh, is it going to come from the uh, from European money coming in? Uh, we don't know obviously where this war is going, but um, funding is definitely an issue. But I think rebuilding in some cases is a very good thing, especially because these buildings are so uh, part of the emotional um, 
landscape. Uh, they're very important to the people. Um, and to build them up again means a lot. And that's why with the fall of the Iron Curtain, that the first thing they did within a year was start building within a few years was to start building those two monasteries. So it's important to people. I think it should be done. Where they're going to get the money, I don't know. But um, Possibly through war reparations imposed on Russia? War reparations are from, you know, but UNESCO doesn't have that kind of money, so they have to get it from somewhere else. All right. But perhaps, it, yeah, perhaps it is possible, though. For example, how many people and how many millions of dollars were rallied in a very quick amount of time following the fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris a few years ago? That's a very good, very good example. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a huge diaspora community of Ukrainians and it probably isn't just Ukrainians who would be doing this. Uh, I think the world uh, has really rallied to the Ukrainian cause. And I think that will, that will move over to, to uh, heritage architecture as well. Thank you so much. Any further comments before we close today, Gauvin? Well, just that there are other areas of, I'm talking about UNESCO ones, but I'm, I'm watching the map every day, right? And I've seen, I've seen bombs land in front of some of these churches, uh, but the ones I'm really worried about, there's these magnificent tradition of, uh, of vernacular wooden church architecture. And a lot of them are out in the country in places that are very much endangered, but there's a particular, an important collection of them in these, they're kind of like pioneer villages that were built under the Soviets. They moved these churches from all over the country. There's one in Kiev, just to the south of the city. So, so far, most of the action has been in the Northwest, uh, but should there be action in the south, they'll just plow through those churches. And they're very delicate. They're made of wood. There's a similar one in Kiev, in Lviv, too, but it's not so far in as much danger. So I worry about little country churches. There's hundreds of 16th to 19th century wooden churches all across Ukraine that um, I, we have no idea what's happened to them. All right. Thank you so much, folks. We've been chatting with Dr. Golvan Bailey, an expert in Ukrainian Baroque architecture from the Department of Art, History and Conservation here at Queen's University about the threats to many Ukrainian monuments, including UNESCO World Heritage Sites in Ukraine due to Russia's invasion of that country. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gauvin, and, and, your, and for your tremendous insights. Well, thank you, and thank you for your interest. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.